0: Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next leader big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is Maureen Metcalf, your host. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates and the Innovative Leadership Institute. I work with leaders and their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. So I am delighted that today we are joined by Terry O'Fallon and Kim Barda. So Dr. Terry O'Fallon and Kim Barda are the co-founders of the Stages International Institute, whose mission is to offer programs and services to individuals and organizations based on a unique developmental model. Their offerings provide a methodology and a process that allows individuals and organizations to see the current situation more clearly, then creatively map out how to solve problems, actualize potential, and create conditions for healthy future development and a more positive impact on the world. Terry and Kim lecture internationally. They provide education and developmental programs online for those who are working with them globally. And they also provide personal guidance for individuals and organizations. So Dr. Terry O'Fallon has focused for the last 13 years on learning and change in human systems as an applied researcher. She's worked with hundreds of leaders studying the interventions that most effectively result in developing leaders who can effectively implement change. She has her PhD in Integral Studies from the California Institute of Integral Studies. She uses the STAGES model to develop experiments and collective insight and developmental growth. Terry has 13 years of experience with these experiments. These embodied experiences have supported her primary theory and research and teaching theme, Growing Up is Waking Up Through the Lifespan. And I'll also say I, I have been one of Terry's students for a number of years and have really personally benefited from much of her work. And if you're a regular listener, you have also had the benefit of learning from many of the influences that Terry has offered me. Kim Barda is an internationally recognized licensed professional psychotherapist, coach, spiritual guide, and speaker. His work and insights spring from grounded experiential practice with self and others in his cross-cultural and lifelong experiences. Currently, Kim has teamed up with Dr. O'Fallon to present workshops and trainings internationally in the new model of human development designed and researched by Dr. O'Fallon. So, this promises to be an incredibly interesting show. Today, we're going to talk about organizational issues and specifically the interconnection between organizational issues and And levels of developmental maturity. So I developed this program with the understanding that we are all facing massive changes in our work environment and our personal lives and with the question of what do we do to stay current and keep up with the changes and in the best case stay ahead of the changes. And so I want to bring you latest research, latest thinking, latest practices made practical so you as leaders can leverage them to keep yourself current and ahead of the challenges you're facing. And so I can't think of better guests than Kim and Terry. So let's jump into the conversation. Let's start with the kind of issues organizations can have. What are these issues?
2: Maureen, first of all, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. We really appreciate you and being a, a part of this with you. What we've been working on is the three basic uh, types of issues that organizations have, and these are classes of issues. Obviously, there's many issues that uh, any organization can have within them, but there are leading existential issues that an organization will have. This occurs when an organization and or central members of an organization or enough of the population of an organization are moving to a higher developmental level than the organization is currently structured at, and that has significant issues upon the the organization and the members within it. The second kind is breadth issues. This is where the organization has the perspective it needs to solve the problems, but the distribution of personnel, technology, skills and resources is not distributed evenly or egalitarianly enough to have it operate efficiently across divisions within the organization. And the third style of problem that an organization can have, are shadow issues, in which case uh, central figures or enough of the population or the organization itself can have shadow issues or regressive issues, issues that are from an earlier developmental level that are holding the organization back. And so those three classes of organization issues are very important for understanding in the world today. So
1: let's step back for just a second. For listeners who haven't heard you before, maybe new. What is a developmental level, and why do we care?
3: Well, developmental levels are the uh, I guess we can think about them primarily uh, starting with an individual view mm-hmm. we all We all know, for instance, that babies grow up I mean it may be silly seems silly to talk about babies when we 're speaking of organizations but well this this will demonstrate what we mean. When a baby is born, they they lay there; they're simply receptive. Then later, they grow a little bit more, so they they actually have the capacity to to get uh, active. They start walking, they start talking. Later on, they make friends. Later on, they learn to read and write. Later on, they uh, learn very broad thinking kinds of skills and etc. At a later time, in the adult levels, we have people who are very much achiever oriented, and then. Perhaps they're postmodern, have more of a postmodern viewpoint, and et cetera. They continue to grow up throughout the lifespan. The interesting thing about this is that organizations often mirror those very Mm -hmm. same worldviews. And so organizations also grow up. We have organizations that, that, you know, at their inception have some of the same capacities that, mm-hmm. that a newborn has because there's all the possibilities of what's going on and you have to receive a lot of information about how to put the organization together and, and things aren't as stable as they need to be and etc. And as we continue to grow up, various kinds of transformations can happen in an organization and they can take on the same kinds of worldviews that any individual takes on. So when we say organizations grow up, that's what we mean is that they continue to develop in their belief systems in the fundamental belief systems that the Mm -hmm. structure of the organization is laid on and grow and develop through time and they can grow up existentially or at their leading edge like kim talked about and sometimes they grow in breadth as well in other words they broaden their skills out so they're very robust in the same level of development and what they want to do and then sometimes as individuals they fall into shadow elements that, make, that hold them back. So those are the three areas that we want to talk about organizationally.
1: Wonderful. And let me ask one more clarifying question then. Does the age of the organization, startup, more process focused, better funded, does that impact the level of development or is it the leaders? What are the factors that drive how organizations develop?
3: well I would say the people that set the organization up usually set the organization up with the same type of understanding of the uh, they they they're they operating from their own belief system so they try to set the organization up that will will support the belief system that they have uh, the thing is is that leaders often grow up and change too and then they've got an organization that's set up at the level earlier than the leader has just developed into so that can cause some some disruptions um, and how do you grow the organization up to match the leader, or you change leaders. you know a lot of this has to do with the kind of leadership that you have, whether or not it's a, a, a leader that is developing or an, a, or you have hired in a new a new leader who has a, a, a different worldview. So those are the couple of the things that we can talk about with this process.
1: Cool, thank you. So let's start with an existential, Can you give some examples on what to do about it?
3: Well, there's a couple of examples that I can give, and Kim is going to chime in here. And and Maureen, I'd like to have you chime in, too, because you work with lots of, lots of organizations. The developmental levels actually start with, I mean, we start with a more of a non-hierarchical flat view, and then we move into a hierarchical, and then we might move into a non-hierarchical view, and then a hierarchical. Let me give you an example of that. Most organizations, quite a few of our organizations are at the 3.5 achiever developmental level. And that is it. They're goal oriented. They they are single systems oriented. They have an aim that is a particular aim, and they shoot for that aim. And all of the people in the organization are organized around that organizational aim. Uh, they have a leader who is more or less the uh, heroic or the higher the leader of the company and. And that uh, leader passes power down in various ways to different levels of the, uh, the levels of the organization underneath them. So let, uh, I, I have an example of a of a of a, an organization that I did consulting in a number of years ago, and this person who who uh, was involved with this organization was just this kind of organizational leader that I mentioned to you. Uh, we call it uh, an Achiever-type organization, and he was a Mm. wonderful, wonderful leader. He actually won many, many awards for his organizational work. And as he grew older, he was in this organization for quite some time, as he grew older, he transformed from a modern worldview, which is this Achiever worldview, to a postmodern worldview. So the organization went from a hierarchical viewpoint to more of a non-hierarchical viewpoint, that is, uh, more of an egalitarian viewpoint where you uh, want everybody to have a voice, you want everybody to weigh in before decisions are made, and and that sort of thing. So this man really felt that his secretary was, you know, has just as important a job as he did, and so he felt like he should do his own typing uh, because he didn't want to impose on her that way, and And uh, he had long meetings with everybody in the organization. And the organization was developing really wonderful relationships with one another. But they were having a hard time getting things done. And there were a number of people in the organization itself that when he was working with this organization and doing all of the hiring earlier, he had hired them all at this Achiever belief system so he had a number of people in the organization at that belief system and yet when he moved into this new belief system there were some people that followed him there but there were others that really couldn't and so what often happens in this this kind of a process is that that you'll find um, if the change in the structure of the organization is really a quick one or a a one that where the change needs to to happen all at once you find a bailout with a lot of people that are at still at the old you know like the old way of doing things and then you have to replace all of the workers with new people that have this new belief system this new worldview, this new world way of working with things so that can be a, a really big struggle in an organization because sometimes the people that are are doing a, a really good job at using the roles and rules and all of the different kinds of policies and things that go on with a uh, an achiever organization those folks you know live and breathe with that kind of a structure, and they have trouble with the other kind of structure, so they aren't comfortable there anymore. So many go looking for other jobs in that case. Uh, So you might have experienced some of those kinds of organizations yourself, Maureen.
1: I have, and it's fascinating to watch because we look at moving each stage is a level that is more, more mature and more access, and yet... When especially a key individual makes that jump and rejects what they used to do, then in essence, they're really rejecting many of the people that got them there, and it can feel like whiplash. and like they've gone off to some you know strange weekend retreat and they never someone swapped them. Um.
3: <laughs> That's right. Kim, do you have anything to say here?
2: yeah, i I kind of liken it to a uh, uh, a truck driver that's driving a semi 80 miles an hour down a freeway just going like crazy and you know doing fine. The whole organization is this freeway and the truck driver driving along, all of a sudden the truck driver gets a call from the helicopter, a helicopter can fly up above and see a different perspective. And it's really important to understand that when we change developmental levels, we're not just learning more, getting smarter, we're actually getting a completely new perspective. So, all of a sudden, the helicopter radios in and says, Hey, you know, five miles down this freeway is a big roadblock. Your whole organization is going to hit this roadblock and it's going to go nowhere. And so the truck driver goes, Oh my gosh, I get this new thing. And they make a quick turn with the semi, and the semi jackknives, and there's a whole bunch of fallout on the road. Well, they avoided the the roadblock at the end and they have to pick up all the pieces and put it back in the vehicle and then go off in another direction. (laughs) But sometimes that's what happens when an organizational leader sees this new perspective. They try to turn the organization as fast as their mind turned and the organization just can't turn that fast. And so what we need to do is create a, a progression plan for the organization so that we can go, okay, we got five miles. We're gonna slow Mm -hmm. the truck down, we're gonna take this exit ramp, we're gonna do it this way, and that's gonna get us moving in the direction that's going to really make everything go a lot better. So when we have a leader that goes through these massive, beautiful developmental changes, Mm -hmm. sometimes they get so excited and passionate, they try to change the organization as fast as they do, and it leads to this havoc. But there are ways to move an organization forward where we don't have to go through that trauma and we can actually get all the benefits of the new developmental level without mm-hmm. the consequences.
1: Let's break here because I would love to delve into this in a lot more detail. And we're coming up on a break point, And I don't want to cut us in during the middle of the example. So we will be right back. We are with Kim Barda and Terry O'Fallon, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And we're talking about the intersection of of developmental levels and organizational developmental levels and how to navigate those beautiful shifts.
3: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Medcalf and Associates offers proven results backed by leading edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders visit metcalf-associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit metcalf-associates.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever
2: you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving, Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are with Terry O'Fallon, Kim Barda, and Maureen Metcalf. And let's jump back in. Terry, before the break, you started to say something about existential shifts.
3: Yes, what I wanted to say is that sometimes the leader shifts, but they don't know quite what to do. So they'll hire in an outside organization to come in that has an entirely new model that they love. And that organization will come in. And sometimes they are coaches and consultants, but they, too, don't understand the developmental shift that needs to happen. And so they'll come in wholesale and try and restructure and reorganize an organization with a whole new model. And that can have just as much of a problem as does the leader trying to make the change so the idea that that Kim was talking about is that that it's very important to pay attention to how long it takes to engage Mm -hmm. an organization in the shift so one of the one of the things that that you can do and Kim may share some other things too here one of the things that you can do is to slow down a little bit and Actually, it's taking a look at not just the, the, the sh- one shift that you're wanting to make, but realizing that there may be many shifts like this in the organization mm. through time. So the idea is to, is to make tiny little shifts along the way so that you have a, a constantly evolving organization so that uh, people can handle one little shift at a time and mm. not uh, big shifts, but work the plan for the organizational change out in such a way that the organization itself can move in a smooth fashion from one shift to the next shift to the next shift, which means that you probably have to look over a number of years and Mm -hmm. and look to see how those shifts can happen in a in a fashion that is palatable to everybody, but no big leaps and then plateaus and then leaps and then plateaus, just this general shift. And Kim, I know you have some ideas about this too.
2: Yeah, so one of the complex things about answering this question, Maureen, is that each developmental shift requires a different set of structural changes. So we can't just say, oh, just, you know, add in groups that talk a little more about emotions and feelings, because it depends upon what the group is changing Mm -hmm. from, what the organization is changing from. If it's 3.0 to 3.5, 3.5 to 4.0, 4.0 to 4.5, those are all going to require different types of steps and changes. So the general thing that Terry is talking about works with any. is we Mm -hmm. need to have people who understand the developmental changes, we have to understand where we're at, the developmental change that we're moving to, and to be able to plot out that succession uh, move in a a skillful way so that the organization doesn't go into shock, but also Mm -hmm. doesn't stay stagnant. And so that's what we need is actually a, a skilled group of people that are trained in understanding these developmental shifts that can help sort that out for your organization. So that's the, that's the first main thing. And the way to do that is, is you can either hire stages or you can hire a stages development informed coach that mm-hmm. understands developmental transitions of organizations mm-hmm. to be able to do that assessment.
1: So I'm guessing when we think about the transformation, we're looking at the individual who's transformed and the other humans around them. So the individual Uh changes, the behavioral changes, the cultural changes, and the systems and processes. It's truly an organizational evolution that's not just them, but it's me, us, the culture, and and the systems that enable us to stay aligned and and lose fewer people in the process and lose less energy and money.
3: Because actually, you need people at all developmental levels in an organization for if you want it to run efficiently and effectively, so that's an important concept to, to uh,
2: note so far we've only talked about it when like key leaders change developmentally, but I think something that is completely unrecognized now and it's a tidal wave coming upon the business and organizational environment, and that is the wave of millennials because What's going to happen here is we often think about changing coming from the top, but these millennials are going to be asking for Mm post-conventional organizations to work in. And some people are already starting to talk about that, but this is going to be an example where the drive of development actually comes from the grassroots, from the actual uh, workers that are coming on. And if organizations Mm -hmm. don't know how to adapt and move up the developmental spectrum, they are going to lose the best and the brightest of the new workers coming in, especially the Millennials and any, any of the groups that come after the Millennials. Mm-hmm. If our organizations are not ready to adapt, we're going to lose the best and the brightest and the ones that can adapt and move to higher developmental organizational structures, they're going to trap the Millennials, they're going to attract the best and the brightest and those organizations are the, going to be the ones that succeed because of that and mm-hmm. so organizations can change not just from the top but because a massive group of people are coming along and they're going to drive that mm-hmm. change one way or another
1: I love that distinction and I'm going to now ask that we shift to breadth so we've talked mm-hmm. about existential or, or moving to a new developmental level it sounds like breadth is strengthening the level where I currently reside and enhancing my skills
3: I think that we find, you know, I have an example of an organization, especially with startups, sometimes this happens. They might have some good financing. They might have some decent research. They might have some decent training. They might have set up their HR. Their technology Mm -hmm. might be pretty good but they have no background in marketing, say. So it's, it's looking at what are the key areas that you need to have in order to make your organization robust in every area in this era that we're in right now, and how can you make sure that there is a robustness that goes along with that, and how can that robustness then grow up when Mm -hmm. the next developmental level comes along and you have the breadth that goes on there because that breadth will change as the developmental level changes. So that's an important process that that we're constantly looking at in, in our work is are you robust if you're not robust at the earlier level if you try Mm -hmm. and transform you're going to be even less robust at the next developmental level that your organization is at so it's really critical that that you set an organization up and set it up well and put in place the possibilities of evolution happening in the organization which means that also you have to maintain the, the robustness as the organization is changing itself
1: So this seems really critical because we often think higher is better and if we accelerate too quickly, it seems like we have breakdowns from an organizational perspective. They can be costly and reputation impact, financial impact, loss of customers, a broad range of things when the organization doesn't have the proper developmental foundation.
3: Yeah, the foundation is really important. And remember that foundation has to continue to grow up too. But without a foundation, good, strong departments in every area that you need for your business, then uh, if you try and make a shift, you're going to be even farther behind. So it's important to have the robustness you need. And then you can grow that breadth up as you grow the organization up. Kim, do you have any comments on this?
2: Yeah, I think there's two real key points here. One is is that this breadth issue is kind of the bread and butter of most coaching programs. They're really talking about more skills training. But one of the things that we need to take a look at is is that it's actually just the diagnosing. Do we need an existential issue, a breadth issue, or a shadow issue? And distinguishing that, because if you don't distinguish between the three, you can pour a ton of money into breadth issues and not really get the change that you need. It's like having Mm a really great painter and a really great plumber, and you hire a painter and he makes the house great, but it doesn't change the plumbing problem. You still have the plumbing problem. So Mm -hmm. if you're not diagnosing what the issue is with your corporation or your organization, you can hire beautiful breadth-oriented consultants And they're not going to solve the problem. It doesn't matter how good they are. They're not designed for working Mm -hmm. with existential or shadow issues. The other thing is is that when we're looking at breadth issues, we often talk about distributing talent and skills, intelligence and leadership across the different divisions. But a lot less time and energy is spent distributing developmental perspectives across Ah, the divisions. Brilliant. And so what happens is you might have somebody comes up with a great, mark, a great uh, product for people who really are in fourth-person perspective. This is a product that all the millions of people in fourth-person perspective are gonna love. The leadership is on it, the design team's on it, everything's put together, then they hand it over to the marketing team, and the mark team is brilliant, but the highest developmental level person on there is 3.5. So they market in a 3.5 way to 3.5 people, and the product fails, you lose sales, not because the product was bad and not because the marketing wasn't there, because the people who advertised didn't know how to market to a fourth-person perspective. And this wasn't because there was a lack of intelligence or a lack of leadership or a lack of skill. It was just simply a lack of developmental perspective. What are fourth-person perspectives going to be interested in? How would they be interested in being marketed to? as opposed to somebody else so distributing developmental levels across our divisions is equally important as is uh, distributing talent and skills and training and resources
1: just so we clarify I, I hate to leave listeners possibly not understanding a term what is fourth person perspective
2: so fourth person perspective are people that okay let's just distinguish 3.5 and 4.0 3.5 are brilliant and intelligent people who are developing plans for the future, they're creating benchmarks to to achieve those plans, they're looking at some feedback mechanisms to see that they're meeting their benchmarks and all of that. Mm -hmm. Fourth person perspective really is much more interested in the context in which we're working and the context that, that we grew up in, the context that we're in now, how do we relate to each other, how are we connected with each other, And we're seeing how these contexts have an impact upon our psychology, our emotions, our impulses, our behaviors, and it's not just psychological marketing, it's a way that I feel when I walk through the world. Mm. A 3.5 feels like I'm looking at a plan, I'm gonna go get that. Whereas a 4.0 feels like I'm reaching into the connection of other people around me, that's what matters. Mm -hmm and how they have grown up through their culture and their context. And so the whole experience of life, regardless of intelligence, regardless Mm -hmm. of exposure, exposure, regardless of resources, regardless of skills, the experience of how I walk through life is different.
3: So we, we have a common uh, n- uh, nomenclature of modern for and uh, modern and achiever for the 3.5 that you just described first, Kim, and mm-hmm. postmodern and pluralist or other other mm-hmm. labels that you are very common in the in mm-hmm. the, the world for for the fourth person perspective that you commented on, Kim.
1: So I was with a client this week, a car dealer, and they talked about selling cars as moved from features and functions to he said, we're almost a hospitality company. Now we have to make people feel good when they come in. So that would be my postmodern or fourth person and 3.5 would be efficient, effective. We, we meet you at the door, we give you the list, we give you a car to drive and we get you out of here as soon as possible. And if that's what you're marketing and I want an experience of being part of the, whatever brand family, it's a miss.
2: It's more about the story than the, the tech so if
3: the marketing comp- part, arm of the of the car company is at three point five a customer comes in and they're going to be pushing you know the efficiency the effectiveness the gas mileage mm-hmm. the you know and they won't really focus on the feel and in and, and uh, you know that this is this car is a uh, a car of, of love, you know, um, <laughs> and they do have advertisements like that with, with cars now.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You see, the advertising has to match up to to the image of what, the, what the, the buyer is, so.
1: I love that, because it gives us a concrete illustration of the misalignment, and Kim, to your point, everyone is doing their job the way they thought they were supposed to, and it's just the disconnect that leaves us missing our objectives that's
4: right
3: the world view uh, understanding the belief systems of the people that are coming in Mm -hmm. and across divisions
1: so I love the idea and I'm going to say this again that distributing the different developmental perspectives in divisions gives us the broad range of point of view so we don't end up lopsided it's not like only the smart people get to be over here, but that later person developmental perspective needs to be in each part of the organization.
2: Exactly.
1: And that helps us That's keep... That's
2: what allows for that robust perspective taking from mm-hmm. multiple developmental levels in each division. Because otherwise you can end up in a culture war within your company if all your 4.0s are in one division, all your 3.5s are primarily in another, there's going to be this cultural clash and division that occurs that, mm-hmm. that just leads to lots of misunderstandings and inefficiencies in your organization. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I can see where that would be pretty challenging. So let's, at this point, go on break, and then we will come back with our third segment where we're going to talk about shadow, and Terry and Kim will also give you some ideas about how to connect with them. So we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at
3: VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites.
0: That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America
2: Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We're with Dr. Terry O'Fallon and Kim Barda, and we are talking about how organizations grow up through developmental perspectives, as do people, and how those can intersect. So we had three different perspectives, the existential, then we talked about breadth in the second section. Now we're on the third section talking about shadow, and this is where the group has an adequate developmental level and skills, but they have some group shadow material that's holding them back. So let's start with what is shadow? I know if I stand out in the sun, I can see myself. But in an organizational context, what does that mean?
5: Well, shadow is usually some unrecognized or unseen aspect uh, that can, uh, you know, oftentimes it, it will hold the organization back. And uh, oftentimes when we talk about shadow with organizations, it's a collective uh, unconscious process that goes on in the organization itself. Uh, I'm aware of three kinds, and Kim is a much more much more an expert on shadow than I am, but I have actually worked with shadow in the consulting work that I've done in organizations. The first kind I'd like to talk about is when uh, the shadow of the organization or of the, the department is cast upon one person, and that is a scapegoating process that happens. In other words, the organization needs to see something that they uh, that they are seeing, and they actually push the the person away that calls it into attention. I'd like to just uh, share a little bit more about the organization I talked about. First of all, they, where the CEO has transformed from a modern worldview to a postmodern worldview, and this. This fellow was calling meetings, and everybody was uh, meeting for hours and hours a day to make decisions, and it was taking a long time to make decisions, but everybody was having a voice, and they were certainly having much deeper and and fonder feelings of one another. Their experience at work was really good, but one of the women who was really responsible for some of the criteria for uh, maintaining accreditation in their organization was very very worried because she saw that the deadlines were being lost they weren't being met and as a result they were um, she was really worried about it so there are other people that were responsible for doing some of those uh, deadlines and she uh, went over and did part of their jobs to make sure that these deadlines were met and they were sent uh, into agencies that were supervising them and that sort of thing of course people got very upset with her because she was doing their jobs for them and and uh, yeah, the, without the deadlines being met, the organization was actually not going to meet its accreditation standards. So they were scapegoating her. They were just uh, talking about her to everybody. And as a consultant, we got a, a lot of information from people about how what a bad employee she was and that she should never be in the organization, that she was ruining everything. And So this, this woman was being scapegoated. They didn't want to have to look at the fact that they were missing their their obligations in one way and mm-hmm. yet um, at the same time they were really wanting to be involved in all of these beautiful meetings where everybody had a voice mm-hmm. and taking the time they needed to to make uh, lengthy decisions and that sort of thing. So that's an sca- example of scapegoating that can happen and scapegoating also can happen in uh, with a position. Sometimes people uh, in an organization or a department really don't want to look at an issue so they'll develop a position for somebody to take care of it because they know it needs to be taken care of but they don't want to look at it and uh, amazingly people will stay in that position only if, uh, maybe a, a week or two or two weeks or ten weeks or a year but there's uh, a, a turnover in that position constantly so whenever you have a turnover, a constant turnover in a particular position it's always good to just check to see whether or not that position itself is actually holding a shadow for the organization, something the organization needs to look at, but they aren't looking at. So that's the first part of shadow that I'm aware of, and maybe we should have you talk a little bit about that, Tim. Did you have something you wanted to add to that, and then I'll go into the second part?
4: Yeah, so another way that shadow can come into a specific position is, especially if you have a central or important leader, they go through a personal crisis in their life. You know, maybe some important people died in their life, or or there's some other type of health crisis or something. And often when we go through a crisis time, we regress. This is a normal mm-hmm. thing that we all do. We regress to a little bit earlier developmental level, a little bit earlier perspective, and it, it kind of shores us up for a time. But when the leader is, when this happens to people in key central leadership positions, this can have an effect on the whole organization or a whole division in the organization. And, And a lot of times in many culture, organizational cultures, it's not okay to talk about that or share about that so people might not even know what's going on. And the organizational structure might not even have contingency plans for the human element of people that are going through really tough crises like this. So... That leads to uh, a shadow depth in, in an organizational functioning in that division or overall. And some of the things that we can do around that is to uh, have some of that human element involved in the organization where where people know what's going on with each other, and therefore people can step up. We have uh, contingency plans for that in the organization so that if particularly, Key people in key leadership positions go through uh, life crises, which we all do. That we've got a network around them that that can help hold the organization skillfully in place while they go through their shadow crash.
5: Thanks, Kim. The second area is sometimes you'll be in a department and you're at at odds with, with another department. So one department of, uh, of an organization uh, will look at another department and say, oh, those folks, they're this way and they're that way. And if they would actually make a list of all of the things that they don't like about that other department and then examine their own department, they would probably mm-hmm. find that they're doing those very same things themselves. This is called projection. They're projecting their own problems outward so they don't have to look at them themselves. So that's another way that, that shadow can happen in organizations. So if you're looking for, for some possibilities there, listen for where the gossip is at, because mm-hmm. anything that they gossip about about, about somebody else, it's probably that probably is, is a, a, a problem in, in the very department that that gossip arises out of. It's a very difficult thing sometimes to look at. at these elements of, of your group that you're working in, but that will really help strengthen your organization if you can mm-hmm. look at the uh, hidden aspects of, of the group so and the group work that you do yourself. You'll always see it in another department or in another area, but you won't see it in yourself. So that's a, a second area. Can do things to say about that one?
4: Yes, we can get really stated mm-hmm. in our our norms. If you take a look, again, what's often missed is the human element. When we grow up in a family, we might end up being like the golden child in a family, or we might end up being the rebel, or we might end up being, you know, the academic or the socialite. And then, of course, when we grow up and we get into jobs, we find jobs that match with our roles, and we end up playing out those roles really well, like the leadership golden child, you know, might be. So what can happen is there can be a competition for old style family roles and not even be realizing that that's what's happening in the organization. So a lot of the conflicts that are occurring are actually these competitions for roles that, um, that are causing problems in the organization when, when a cooperative orientation around that mm-hmm. would work better. So sometimes we have these historical issues, uh, all of us have them. And when we don't recognize that, we miss that we're creating these shadow structures within the organization Mm -hmm. because people are competing for roles in situations where we don't even have to have that competition. But as a result, we actually manifest that in the organization and the organization starts recreating those roles when the organization itself never had a need for certain styles of roles at all. And so this is a way that it gets, stuck into the organization from the human element, from the outside even though it was never intended to be there from the organizational Mm -hmm. point of view
1: I've worked with, often people who were sent to me for coaching are the scapegoats it's amazing, absent the organizational context, often these people seem amazingly, not only smart but talented and to be people that I would love to work with and yet in the context of the organization, what we discover or what I've discovered way too often is it's not the person that needs to be fixed. It's the interface between a very talented person and an organization that, that is expressing something that's unhealthy. And often I've found that when the organization addresses, whether it's systemic or cultural, that person can then thrive or they exit, go someplace else and they're seen as brilliant where when the place they came from sees them as really a problem. It's fascinating to watch how such talented people can thrive in one organization and be completely ostracized in another organization that on the surface has the same mission.
4: That is almost an axiom at this point, Maureen that the person who is the scapegoat, or the rebel, the one that's seen as the scapegoat or the rebel are, is the one that's actually seeing what the organization needs to see, but the organization is rejecting it. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I mean, that's so true so prolifically that it's almost an axiom at this point for looking at shadow work in organizations is look at the person that's seen scapegoat. They're probably the one seeing something that the organization is not seeing.
1: And the organization doesn't always want to hear that. They just want that person to change. That's right. That's generally the charter is go fix them and tell us when you're That's done. That's right.
5: <laughs> One of the keys about shadow is, is something's in your face and you don't want to deal with it. And instead of moving away from it, it it's important to move towards it and examine what is it you don't want to see. That's the, the key issue with shadow there's a third area that I've noticed in my work, and I've, I've noticed this in organizations that I've actually created, and I've noticed it in organizations that I've stepped into, and that is that an organization may start out with a really terrible history, and they have a story. The story is created for them by the, the first generation of, of people that are there, and maybe they were hard times or whatever it was, but. You know, they have a story about, well, things are not very much fun around here, and, you know, people gossip, people don't treat people well. I mean, they have all kinds of different stories that they tell, and new people come into the organization, and they start hearing this, and they believe the story, and therefore, mm-hmm. what happens is, is that they, they end up continually creating that story for the future, mm-hmm. when the organization itself may have made a lot of adjustments and changes, and the story is no longer true but the story keeps being told, and that old story will actually drag the organization backwards.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
5: it's really important to have a, uh, a kind of a campaign when you take care of some problems, and then tell a new story, make sure that mm-hmm. the new story is, is inculcated into the organization so that there's a constantly changing story about who are I we do. as an organization, and Are we good, you know, and and make sure that the story is a true story, but also make sure that the story isn't uh, a false story because there are uh, 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 those old problems, you know, have Mm -hmm. been taken care of. So that's another area of shadow that I see that sometimes organizations
1: have. And Maureen or Kim, do you have thoughts about that kind of process? Actually, I'm going to wrap us up here because I want to give you a couple of minutes to let our listeners know how do they find you if they go to your website what kind of information can they get Um, what kind of classes can they take you've talked about consultants Uh, tell us the two minute version of um, I loved what I heard here how do I get in touch with you
4: well you can get a hold of us through stagesinternational.com that's stagesinternational.com and we can do consulting work we if you're a coaching team you can hire us to do some of this work in the background so that you can be the shining, uh, successful (laughs) people up front. We're not turf-oriented, so we don't care. Um, What we do is we are pioneering this innovative stuff about understanding existential issues, breath issues, or shadow issues, and being able to distinguish so that whether you're a coach or whether you're an organization, you're putting your money where it's going to be effective, where it's going to actually make the change that you're wanting because you can put a lot of money in the wrong category with the best people in the world and it's still not gonna do any good. And uh, we are also providing training now for coaches. So you can actually hire a development, a stage of developmentally informed coach that will understand how to assess leading edge issues, these are existential issues, how to assess whether they're breath issues and how to, how to assess whether they're shadow issues, and then to get you pointed in the right direction either through their work or to help you hire a coaching team that can help drill into those specific types of issues in an efficient and effective manner.
1: And you have a mailing list. You do webinars. If I wanted to join your mailing list, how would I do that? You
4: can do that on Go right?
1: Okay. So everything I need is there.
4: Everything you yes. need is there.
1: Okay. And we're actually doing a shadow course uh, in October. Cool. Of 2018. So if listeners are listening to this next year, you'll be doing something different at that point. So thank you both so very much. And to our listeners, please take advantage of the opportunity to reach out to Kim and Terry and learn more about their work. It it is quite pioneering. And the impact is significant and answers some big questions that we've had in the organizational space. I've done the things I know how to do and something is still not working. And their framework may often answer that question, what else can I do? So this is Maureen Metcalf. Uh, We are joined by Terry O'Fallon and Kim Barda. And this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations to give me feedback. Or if you want to reach either Terry or Kim through me, you're welcome to email me at info at metcalf-associates.com or connect with me on Facebook on Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations.